the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Rescuers Radio Show. Our worldwide audience is now tuning in. I can see them around the the, the globe. And, um, you know, we we air every Thursday at 530 on Faith Talk 1360 and faithtalk1360.com. Uh, and please go to re- uh, rescuersradioshow.org where you can hear, listen to all the shows we've had. We're up, up to about 110 now. Two-year anniversary we had last week. And uh, you can hear all those shows. And once they air at 5.30 on Thursday evening, they go to a podcast stream. So uh, you can never miss a program. And uh, also on the website, uh, org. you'll find a, a, a button to donate if you'd like to donate to this uh, uh, audience-supported radio show. I'm very happy to have the guest I have right here in front of me today, uh, Tawana Williams Christensen, Assisted Living and Social Services Director of Fellowship Square in Mesa. Tawana, it's good to see you. Thank you. It's good to see you, too. Have you on. Get a little bit closer little to the closer. mic. There you go. And um, so welcome to the Rescuers Radio Show. And uh, so that our worldwide audience uh, gets to know you, let's begin with your backstory. How exactly did you get to this point in your life? Um, I was raised uh, by my um, parents, John Scott and Pam Williams, that uh, started in senior living, worked in senior living, and uh, my father has been a service before self type of guy my whole life. So I can remember at age seven going and doing shut-ins with my father. He was an elder at our church. And we would go to different people's houses that couldn't come to church. And he would pray with them or offer them communion. Sometimes they had a, a broken sink or a a door that needed to be fixed or some kind of squeaky something. And he's very handy. Wow. So he would, while he's doing the shut-ins, would, would repair something for them. I'm the exact opposite. Of that. <laughs> I can't fix anything. He, he can fix pretty much anything. <laughs> um, and I would, I just loved going with him every Sunday um, after church. We would go and visit people. Um, um, I remember going to what I thought were hospitals. Now I know that they were nursing homes, but 
we would go and visit people in their rooms and and he would pray with them and talk with them and offer them different advice and I would just love being at his hip Mm. Um, and you know throughout the throughout the years he's always been very loyal and dedicated to serving people Um, and the oldest of three children and so I got to experience a lot of things um, and just watching both of my parents work my mother started in activities at a at a, a memory care and I volunteered when I was 17 years old. Yeah. And that's when it started. Wow. So um, you also traveled to some other countries, right, as a child? Yes. So our church um, had a youth group. And some of us in the youth group, um, would we wrote essays. And we were selected to go and do mission work in different countries. I was uh, got the opportunity to go to Costa Rica, um, Panama, Dominican Republic, and those were experiences were three to four weeks long. Um, we uh, did preschools, and the girls did Sunday schools and things with the kids. Um, the guys did a lot of uh, construction work, building houses, and helping um, the, the needy in those different countries. And you were a teen? I was a teen. Doing all of this? Mm-hmm. Wow. I was a very strong-willed daughter. I was the oldest, and I had what I thought I had all the answers. Um, and my parents, I felt, and I I uh, was very vocal with how I felt about things. <laughs> and I didn't agree with my parents on a lot of things. So I feel like my parents op- made those opportunities for me so I could see how other people live. Speaking of writing essays and so forth, you have defined three priorities for your life. What are those? Um, The first is my relationship with God. I'm very spiritual. Good place to start. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, My second is my daughter, being a mother to Tessa. Who happens uh, to be in the the studio (laughs) today, by the way. And uh, the third is my mission, and that is creating positive change with those with brain failure. Brain failure. We're, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we'll go to, a little bit deeper into that. Um, but I also know that advocating for comfort and dignity yes. are goals of yours, right? Yes. For, um, f- for many years, I've um, had a different idea on how to take care of uh, the aging. And it started with people with brain, brain failure, but I have expanded it to... Um, all of the re- all of the residents that I serve, whether they have brain failure or they have phys- physical impairments um, and disabilities, but advocating for comfort and dignity became very very important to me um, when uh, Tessa's dad became chronically ill. Tell us about that. Um, uh, Tessa's twenty, so around eighteen years ago, um, Tessa's dad became. Uh, very ill with a rare illness. It's called reflex sympathetic dystrophy or chronic regional pain syndrome. Mm. And it's an illness that's nicknamed. Yeah, it's rare. Mm. Um, It's nicknamed the suicide disease. And the reason that is, is because you're in pain 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the pain is on the Merrick pain scale at a number 47, which is more painful than cancer, more painful than childbirth, 
and you don't get days off, you don't get weekends off, you don't, you are always in pain. And so what happens is you have to manage it with pain medications. And if you don't manage... Is it all through the body? Is it? Yes. So how the doctor explained it to me is this is how it feels to have it. If you were to drain all your veins uh, of your blood and fill it up with light, lighter fluid, and then you would light that lighter fluid, and so you feel fire on the inside, but then wrap your body in dry ice and attach it with um, barbed wire. Oh, my gosh. So your body feels that. Even walking past a person with this illness is painful. So, Tess, uh, you were raised around that for a lot of years? She doesn't know her dad healthy. Okay. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, we never know. We never know. Uh, we never know. These bodies of ours are so frail. Right. More than we give credit for it, right? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes it just uh, takes over. Um, so at 17, when you, you really got a, a, a great um, offering in, the, in the, where you ended up in industry-wise when you were young. You were a, teen- young. a teenager, yeah. yeah. I, I knew at 17 that I could make a difference in another person's life, and it changed me. It wow. changed me. I, what happened was I was at the community that my mother was serving at, and I was volunteering, and I was reading stories to the residents. Um, and I did that like an hour or two a day. Well, one day, the, the kitchen accidentally burnt toast, oh. and all the fire alarms went off. So uh, one of the workers said, Tanya, we need you to take, we need you to entertain the residents while we take care of the fire matter. So the caregivers brought the residents and I put them in a circle on the patio and something inside me said, sing with them. I, d- I was 17. I didn't know what I was doing, but something inside of me said, sing with them. So we started singing, you are my sunshine. <laughs> and I wrote this- that down on my notes. <laughs> And it's my favorite song. I used to sing it to Tess all the time when she was a baby. But there was this lady that I would read to her stories all the time. But she was always very stiff, non-speaking, just never really showed any emotion. But I, they just kept telling me to read stories that she enjoyed them. But that day, she sang with me. And I was like, I can make a difference. Yes. And, and how old were you then? 17. That's all, all this happened at 17? Yeah. That was a miracle year for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you went on to educate yourself. and I, I went on. Um, I, I did have some difficulty in going through that growing up. So in my young, in my older teens and young adult years, I was very strong-willed and was somewhat rebellious. So it took me until about 26 to really get myself back together. Mm-hmm. I've learned now from sp- studying the brain that it really has to do with when we are from age 15 to 22 as women, our amygdalas and our brain are going in overdrive. So even though some people call it rebellious, it could be just our brain being developed. And for men, it's 17 to 28. So any type of, uh, any kind of substance that you put in your system in those times can pause your brain development. And that's what you call brain failure? Um, that's not what I call brain failure, but I, I 
it, at, as time has gone on, I've realized that I might not have been the most rebellious person. I might just have been dealing with a very high amygdala. But that's just how our brains develop. And how our brains develop depends on how we take care of ourselves. So as we get older in our in our aging years, it can come back in different in different forms. But you the what I just wanted to make clear is I might not have been as rebellious as I thought I did and to give give myself kindness through that. Yeah. You are my sunshine. You are my yeah. sunshine. Yeah. But it wasn't until about 26 or 27 that I started getting educated. Wow. And then you, and then the education led you to where you are today, right? Right. Um, residents with brain failure, I was had the opportunity to um, spend time with a lot of people that have dealt with different type of brain loss or um, dementias or cognitive impairment. People call it different things, and those are the people that I've connected with the the strongest. And through their through my experiences with them and realizing what makes them comfortable is what helps them thrive. And you can thrive in having a dementia uh, diagnosis is really my goal. So this this is your your current work. You know, you you are uh, assistant living and social services director of Fellowship Square Mesa. We're going to dive into so people have an idea of what that who what that is and what it looks like. But um, you're you're in a you're serving in a secured memory care community. Yes, is that true. I I operate three communities. One of those communities is a secured, um, wander free environment for residents with brain failure. Wander free. Yes. So, so they're under lockdown. They're locked down. Wow. <laughs> so um, I told you about my friend. Yes. Was yes. We, was they actually had a bright red door for someone that was that was apt to wander or or be violent even right that was in a care center here in in the valley um so after you know for you've been at this for for 32 years yeah right you yes. had to, you had to I had to count <laughs> <laughs> yes 32 years of being able to serve others yes so i have a message for our our worldwide audience uh you are listening to Twanya Williams Christensen Assisted Living and Social Services Director at Fellowship Square Mesa, of which she's going to tell us about right now. Yeah. Okay. So um, at Fellowship Square Mesa, we have uh, all levels of living for seniors from independent living all the way um, to memory care. I oversee the assisted living version of Fellowship Square Mesa, and we have three neighborhoods. We have the Oasis, which is an assisted living community, um, licensed uh, supervisory, personal, and directed care. Then we have our Christian Care Manor 4 building, which is a subsidized Altex building, which is uh, licensed for supervisory and personal level of care. And then we have Reflections, and that is a secured, directed level care um, uh, neighborhood where we take care of those with brain failure. And do you bounce from facility to facility, or you, you're at one place all the time? Yes, I do rounds every day. Um, all three communities are in the same parking lot, so it's very easy. I spend um, time with um, the residents and the staff mostly in making sure we're all on on our game. The, uh, the There's 130 residents. Oh, my. Um, there's approximately 60 staff members, and then there's a bunch of family members. So what sets these campuses or this campus apart from all the others? 
In my opinion, we do. We have have plenty of time here. (laughs) In my opinion, (laughs) we are set apart because everything we do at Fellowship Square Mesa is done um, for the sole purpose of helping each and every person thrive. Mm. So when it comes to caring for residents, and there's a lot of different residents that I believe are all completely and uniquely made in the image of God. So every single person is here on purpose for a purpose. And what we try to do is find that purpose for each and every person and then develop a a service plan around that. So this is very different than than just going into a care center, for instance, right? Right. So we do things like... I want to know everything. I shouldn't say just because that's important. It's a lot of levels. Yes, there's a lot of levels to it. But we do things like I want to know the person as well as I can possibly know them before they move in. A long time ago, we used to do things where we would just move a person in and get to know them if we could. And then we would go to their celebration of life and find out all this beautiful information about them. And I feel like we got to do it opposite. So I, it's about a four to five page document of, of knowing every single thing about that person, their traumas, their family members, the people they get along with, the things they've done in their life, their, their hobbies, even their life's work, their mission. Those, all of those things are very important to me to understand about a person. And I feel like with knowing who that person is, we can provide them a purposeful lifestyle. Um, the other thing is I need to know their family and I need to know, like in my family, I have very, very layered um, relationships and some personalities I get along better than others. And I want to know the family and how it works because it tends to be as when we get into the assisted living level of life, the families are very involved and they're the advocates for their family members. So I kind of need to know how that um, functional or dysfunctional family works to do the very mm-hmm. best I can in the communication and helping them understand what their person's going through. I like the part that it's very re- relational. It's all relational. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, one-on-one. Yes. And care can only be given properly by knowing who how, who you uniquely are mm-hmm. and how that family um, comes together in finding that uniqueness of who you are. And how did they get to this point right. in their life, right? Right. Wow. Because approach is everything. I'm a person that if you approach me a certain way, I'm in in a way that I find disrespectful. I'm not going to do anything. I'm I'm going to res- respond in a negative way. Yeah. I'm also a person that if you come to me in a way of you need help or you need support or I'll do whatever it takes to help. So approach for me is everything. So I believe approach for everybody is everything. Yeah. And if people are wondering where Mesa is and you're out of state listening to the program, it's Mesa, Arizona. Mesa, Arizona. And um, so have, have we talked to everything we need to know about brain failure? I, I, I keep looking at that word. You said you don't use that word. I use brain failure, failure as the word when it comes to people that are dealing with dementia in some type of way. Um, it can come in different different levels as mild cognitive impairment to cognitive impairment to um, full-on impairment. There's about 25% of people that have no awareness that they have cognitive impairment and the other 75% that know that they're confused and things are not going well for the person. Um, when it comes to brain failure, I think of it just like heart failure or kidney failure or lung failure. Um, Well, nothing functions without your brain, right? Right. And I also feel like I would not expect somebody with lung failure to run a marathon. 
So I wouldn't expect somebody with brain failure to uh, logically respond or to socially acceptably respond to things. I feel that people with brain failure get a bad rap where they are called behavioral. When I really understand it as they are reacting in a way that they, the best way they know to let us know they have an unmet need. So just because maybe somebody is pulling pictures off the wall and throwing them on the wall, it could be that that person's in excruciating pain and they need to be assessed because their brain is not um, connected correctly. It's not operating. So just because they're not being socially acceptable in the way they're experiencing life Mm -hmm. or reacting to life doesn't mean that they – they're not – all they're trying to do is tell us, I have an unmet need and I need you to help me. And back to what you said earlier in the program, uh, that can be happening at in, at what age you are in your teens or your 20s, the brain formation, and you may not even be aware of all these kinds of issues for much later in life, right? right? And and hello, it's a surprise. Uh, are there early indications? Yes. Um, th- you, there's been people all the way as as young as three years old that have come up, have been diagnosed with a certain type of dementia. Typically, um, I've had some young uh, people with dementia, 43 to 47 years old is the youngest I've ever served personally. Um, typically, you'll see that people between 70 to 80 years old will start showing signs and symptoms. Um, I'm a I'm a believer in just like we get screened for like breast cancer and colon cancers as early as possible to be screened for brain failure as well. It's a it tends is, is that through an MRI or through a neurologist? Okay. Yeah, I feel that the the sooner the screening, the better your care will be properly. But there's still a stigma. People try to hide. Uh, brain failure. They try to pretend that um, it doesn't exist, but it, it it really does exist. And I think it's because people are brought up socially to not ever be able to forget anybody because if you forget that person, they don't mean that much to you. But really, society needs to understand that brain failure happens and it's not a character flaw. It's just like any other illness that happens and pre-screening does help in giving you the care and um, the services that you need to keep yourself as independent as possible as long as possible. Wow. Uh, There's a new building that you're overseeing. Uh, It's called the Fellowship Square Mesa Training Center. What is that? Well, it's not a building. It's I'm building a training center because um, it's it's basically what I've seen through the pandemic and even before the pandemic is a, a very low amount of people interested in caregiving. Mm-hmm. And the, the caregivers that we have now are not supported honorably. And so the idea behind the training center is to bring classes to teach caregivers. Currently, I'm doing the caregiver's that are employed by Fellowship Square Mesa. But my idea or my dream is to be a supportive center for the community that anybody that's a caregiver can come and do these classes and understand the positive approaches to care, understand how um, it, how important it is to approach per, a person on their terms their way, learning how to do proper ADLs, learning how to do proper medication management. I also believe in the five love languages and how to approach people and understanding their love language. So there's all types 
types of classes that are involved with the, the training center, and hopefully it can be built and the Mesa community and communities around it can be a part of that. And I'd like to phrase that I picked up in your in your materials, advocating for comfort and dignity. So you do you you handle those situations very well. I, I can't imagine somebody wanting to come or nearing nearing the end of the program, but I can't imagine someone wanting to get into this career and not having your background <laughs> when you were young, right up to your teens, you were already immersed in this, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Before you even got your degrees and, mm-hmm. and moved forward. So um, Tess, her daughter is here. You're, are you proud of mom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a, she's. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, my gosh, uh, if someone is listening today and they want to get in touch with the uh, w- with the uh, social services and fellowship uh, square in Mesa, how would they do that? Um, to get a hold of us at Fellowship Square Mesa, you would call and ask for Suzanne Spoiler, and the phone number is four eight zero six five four one eight zero zero. You can also go to our website at www.fellowshipsquareseniorliving.org.org. Nice. Do you have any other remarks that we haven't covered before we end the show? I just feel very honored to be here, and I think we all should just be aware that advocating for comfort and dignity should be one of our priorities. Nice. Amen to that. Amen. So, uh, um, Tanya Williams Christensen, you are a rescuer. (laughs) God's blessings to you, and thank you for being on The Rescuers today. Amen. Thank you. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 